Hello everybody, my name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Today we're going to be talking about Rachel Den Hollander going after John MacArthur. It is a battle of titans in a way because John MacArthur is probably the biggest, most influential pastor in the United States, especially among Christians. I mean, Tim Keller is a large influence, but not necessarily among Christians and solid Christians. And then Rachel Den Hollander, who's the most powerful woman in the church right now. She is definitely uh, commanding uh, and whipping the church to accept her theology, the Rachel Den Hollander theology, which is Me Too theology in the church. She's whipping the church to accept that. The Southern Baptist Convention is already underway, but an important update came out of the PCA where they had a landmark verdict in a trial on one of their teaching elders that fully exonerated him of Me Too accusations that were levied against him. So there are some L's to be had on the Rachel Den Hollander camp, but 2023 seems like the year that Rachel Den Hollander will finally be called out by the masses. Uh, For Evangelical Dark Web, we labeled her the Church Villain of the Year. She earned that award at our 2022 award show, the EVA Awards, we call them. So she won Church Villain of the Year uh, for her whipping and the uh, shadiness going on with the Southern Baptist Convention and how she is a very negative influence for the SBC. So... We're going to talk about her attacks on John MacArthur and how it also relates to the ongoing story about Josh Butler's article. What she's trying to do is draw a parallel. Uh, You know, Josh Butler, you know, we cared when he said it, but John MacArthur has been saying the same thing. So that's kind of the argument that, uh, not Julie Roy's, uh, Rachel Den Hollander has been making. And we're going to get into that in a second. But first... Evangelical Dark Web is a Christian news gathering and commentary ministry, and uh, we do Christian news gathering with discernment because, you know, the big players out there like Christian Post, Christianity, or Compromise Today, they don't do discernment with their reporting, and that's a major error in these trying times. We also have a Patreon-like system. Uh, that you can go to support this effort. Otherwise, the least you can do is like the video. Also, subscribe to the channel if you are new. So, uh, we're going to drop right in. Let's start out within the Twitter sphere. Uh, This is the revised tweet by Rachel Den Hollander. And this tweet is revised because it includes more context. So, she first tweeted out this image that says... That, that's a quote from John MacArthur that says, you have to look at yourself in a way that Paul described marriage in Ephesians 5. He basically says that a husband is like a savior to his wife. That's essentially what it says. I think the burden really lies with men to see themselves as those who rescue women from loneliness, who rescue women from being in an unfulfilled being, uh, un, from being and unfulfilled being in a place where they aren't protected, they aren't provided for, they aren't cared for, they aren't loved, they aren't given the opportunity to have children. So uh, this is apparently egregious, according to Rachel Den Hollander. I see this as standard patriarchal theology, or not even necessarily theology, but it's a standard patriarchal statement that, you know, men are to protect women. They're you know, and it's a, a temporal form of rescue that he's talking about here. Uh, 
And, but this is all part of a much larger context that was ignored in the first tweet. So Julie, uh, not Julie Royce, Rachel Den Hollander has come back with more context. Uh, and this is the more context, but we're going to listen to the whole context before we uh, keep going through the Rachel Den Hollander uh, thread here on the Twitter sphere. So we're going to watch the whole context from the original video. This is this uh, quote came from John MacArthur's Bible Questions and Answers, Part Seventy Seven. So that's where that's the source of this quote that Rachel Den Hollander has taken out of context. So we're, so we're going to listen to the full context. Okay, Tom. Yes. Hi, my name is Ben. I have a question. Your name is what? My name is Ben or Benjamin. Hi, Ben. Yes. Uh, I have a question regarding 1 Corinthians 7. So, uh, so I've noticed that uh, many of my brothers and, uh, and I, all of us meet the 1 Corinthians 7 uh, prerequisite. Uh, we're wrestling with God and searching out a woman to potentially be a helpmate. Um, I've noticed in myself and I've heard brothers express this paradox of sorts uh, that we recognize the fact that we have romanticized romance and have at times set up this unknown woman as an idol, discontent with what God has given us. But we also know that a single man with conscious sexual feelings is not good alone, and that God has specifically created us to have a wife. So my question is, how do we reconcile these two thoughts in terms of timing? And if we spend too much, if we spend time devoting ourselves to ministry and to God, uh, making sure our motives are pure and asking a girl out, it would seem that we are disobeying the apostles' command in 1 Corinthians 7. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, you might, you might be eager to obey the command but can't find anybody who's willing to marry you. So there's, there's, there's always that oh. reality. So, uh, oh, um, ouch. Yeah, I, I, this is a really important question. That's a very polite roast by John MacArthur, but yeah, it, it's a polite little, you know, joke. That's funny. That's funny. Question, Ben, because... Um, marriage is the grace of life. Uh, mar marriage is the most fulfilling relationship in life on every possible front. And this particular culture we live in today has postponed that uh, more and more. It seems like every year the, married, the average marriage age gets older and older and older and older. And uh, this puts tremendous pressure on young people to maintain purity when they have reached the age where they would desire to be married and desire to start a family. So all I can do is uh, to exhort Christian people not to get caught up in what you said, not to get caught up in the perfections that this society drags in front of you, which are not related to reality. I, I think you have to look at yourself, and this may help, you have to look at yourself I want to pause before he gives us advice here, because just to insert my thoughts, because John MacArthur, I, I'm not quite familiar with his whole life story, but, you know, dating was a lot different in his day. I'm just going to assume that he's very old. Uh, I know he's not in the best of health right now. Uh, and, you know, 2023 hasn't been in his, his best year health wise, but uh, I do, you know, dating was a lot different in his day. And he's trying to acknowledge the plight of young men. And this was, this is about a year or two old. Uh, this clip is, it's not very old and dating is a much different world now. So it is a struggle 
for protracted or prolonged, uh, you know, women being the main drivers of prolonging marriage and, uh, the idea of maintaining sexual purity into your twenties and even thirties, that is a very hard task. And he's trying to be very empathetic or sympathetic, not empathetic, uh, with this plight. In the way that uh, Paul described marriage in Ephesians 5, he basically says that a husband is like a savior to his wife. That's essentially what it says. And, and I, think, I think the burden really lies with men to see themselves as those who rescue women from loneliness, who rescue women from being in an uh, unfulfilled life, uh, being in, in a place where they aren't protected, they aren't provided for, they aren't cared for, they aren't loved, they aren't given the opportunity to have children. So uh, from, from what I would experience in, in our society, it's the men that have to step up. And I honestly do not know what in the world they are waiting for. I have threatened many times to line up all the single women on one side, all the single men on the other side, and assign you a wife. <laughs> but I... Oh, arranged marriages, you know, they don't end in divorce as much. Okay, let's... Okay, so when he's talking about rescuing women, is he talking about rescuing women from feminism? Because that's... I was... You know, trying to hold back my laughter because that's what I think he's talking about. Rescuing women from feminism. But on a serious note, let's turn to Ephesians 5. I'm going to start at verse 25 in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And he gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of uh, washing of water with the word that he might present himself the church in all her glory or present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless so husbands ought to love their own uh, love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his own wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does love the church. So, uh, actually, I'll, I'll finish up the, the uh, chapter. Because we are members of his body, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as he love even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So that's a lot about the husband and playing the Christ role in the marriage. That's you know, John MacArthur is pretty grounded in Ephesians 5 with what he just said. He's a lot more grounded in Ephesians 5 than Josh Butler was in his Gospel Coalition article about sex pointing to marriage. Now, I'm not going to say that consummation language isn't in there because, you know, loving 
your wife as you love your own body. That's I'll, I would certainly take that in a consummation sort of way, uh, if we're being honest with ourselves, which we are. And the idea that he sanctifies her, cleans her, uh, there is a redemptive element presented here. Now, is he, is the husband playing a spiritual role in this? No, it's not a spiritual redemption that the husband is doing to his wife. There's a spiritual head of the household component, but that's not what we're talking about here. Well, that's not all that we're talking about here. A lot of this, sac- the idea that the husband lays down his life for his wife, that's a sacrificial role there. That's playing the Jesus character there. And that's what he's talking about. This is pretty grounded in reformed Protestant tradition, or at least Protestant tradition. So this isn't, you know, prior to the rise of feminism, this, what John MacArthur said would not be considered controversial. I don't think that'd be considered controversial at all. He's talking about rescuing women from feminism in a way. Uh, At least that's what I think of when he talks about rescuing women from loneliness and an unfulfilling life, rescuing them from feminism. That's what he's talking about here. Obviously, that's not going to go over well with the feminist crowd, which is largely, you know, one of the most influential in this crowd is Rachel Den Hollander, who's part of the whole trauma grift. Instead of looking for someone who some kind of trophy You need to look to someone who loves Christ, that that you can be a savior to that person and a protector and a provider and and a lover and um, be what Christ is to his church because that's the picture. And I strongly exhort young men to find a wife because in that finding is God's greatest gift in this world and it allows you to raise up children who know and love the Lord. That's the purpose of marriage, to procreate, and to do so in Christ is the highest calling in life. Um, I I want to do all I can to encourage the men to step up, and I I know there have been enough bad marriages in our society that there's a certain amount of fear and trepidation, but you have to look at marriage as the, the, the way the Lord looks at His church. He knows the bride has problems, but he is her redeemer. He is her rescuer. And I think if you can find a godly woman, that reward is the greatest reward that life can offer. Just don't let the world define what that woman should be, okay? Really good question. Hi, Pastor John. So that is our context. That much. I don't really have an, an issue with what he said there, that he is in providing encouragement, edification to a young man who might actually be older than me in this. Uh, and he's telling him to pursue a godly woman. Don't go by the world standard. And, you know, you're, you're going, to, you know, and you're going to be a protector, a provider a spiritual head of the household. That's the type of language that he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about when he talks about being a redeemer. 
So I don't see an issue with what John MacArthur said. The full context is pretty benign. I don't really have an issue with it. It's, you know, standard Protestant thought before the rise of feminism. Speaking of feminists, let's turn back to the thread of one Rachel Den Hollander. So, uh, so one of the concerns raised with the recent TGC article was how the language placed the husband in a priestly or salvific role as one, as one example, bringing an offering into the most holy of places and leaving it on her altar. That's a reference to Josh Butler's words. He was talking about semen being an offering, uh, taking his metaphor uh, very, very serious. Now, re remember, what was the problem with Josh Butler's use of marriage. I've gone over this a couple times. Now, the first problem was that he premised it with his own general thirstiness. That, that's how he begins. He begins talking about his own you know, romantic escapades and then goes into this. That was one problem. The other problem is that he premature... You know, you've heard about an over-realized eschatology. Well, he had an over-realized sex, sexatology, I guess. And he over-realized it because this is true in glory. The current state of Christ and his bride, according to Scripture, is betrothal. And that, that's why he talked about, you know, the bridegroom returning and stuff like that. So the current state is betrothal uh, to be consummated in glory on the second coming. So... Then the uh, metaphor will be completely valid. But until then, so I'm going to move this over here. So a question raised is how this could escape the notice of those who reviewed it. One potential answer to this question is that we have long accepted teachings that place the husband in this role, albeit nice in a nicer sounding way. This is the rest of John MacArthur's answer to the question. In this answer, uh, he is using the rhetorical device of parallelism to draw distinct parallels between Christ's redemptive work within the church and a husband's role towards his wife. Gee, what did Ephesians 5 just do? Ephesians 5 does that. Her arguments with scripture here. Her arguments with Paul, which a lot of feminists don't like Paul. Rachel Den Hollander is a feminist, so I'm just drawing a connection. I also think, let's uh, get ourselves into some trouble here. I also think a lot of feminists don't like sex. I think Christians should, you know, love sex in its proper context because it's a beautiful thing. But, you know, a lot of feminists don't like sex. He specifically uses the word redeem, which is a reference to Christ's salvation of his church. He encourages this young man to view himself towards a wife the way Christ redeems the church. Context also for how he encourages men to view themselves as a savior. Oh, the horror that men get to be Christ-like in marriage. Now, there are a few ways we can respond to this, but there is one way we cannot respond to it. We cannot swap out MacArthur's words for the actual text of Ephesians 5 and assert that if we don't agree with the former, we therefore reject the latter. And I don't think that's a straw man fallacy that she's going to say. It's not a complete straw man fallacy. Why? Because the words are not the same. This is a straw man fallacy sitting 
setting up an idea that is easily knocked over. Okay, we don't need a definition of straw man fallacy. That's okay. Uh, treat us like an adult. Okay. It's also a red herring fallacy, throwing out an incorrect answer or irrelevant ar argument. Ugh. So she is basically saying that if you want to say that she has a problem with Ephesians 5, then you are committing a logical fallacy. But actually, I think Paul went, Paul goes way further in Ephesians 5 than John MacArthur did in that answer. John went w way further. I also could note that appending derogatory personal attacks or terms to those who is a logical fallacy only in certain contexts. Like I'm not completely against ad hominem attacks. They're not, but, uh, that, because, you know, I've called her a feminist multiple times, but I am addressing her arguments here. So she's trying to say that if you disagree with what I'm saying, you're committing a logical fallacy. That's how she's trying to frame her argument here. One, say MacArthur meant what he wrote, and he is correct. That the commands in Ephesians 5 do in fact assign a redemptive role to the husband in the, in the same way that Christ redeems the church. I disagree with this exegesis, but it's a logically valid option. Now again, we got to remember that Christ in the church is, uh, it is a metaphor. So, and the church is the collective body of believers. So, I don't, if, is marriage a metaphor for the Christ in his church, or is it not? If it is, then we can extrapolate a lot about what God teaches about marriage to what God teaches about Christ in the church. I think Ephesians 5 does a, you know, it goes way further than what John MacArthur did in the same metaphor, in the same role. Why? Because it was a patriarchal society back then. And that's why it's so shocking nowadays to our sensibilities. Two, say that John MacArthur didn't actually mean to assign the husband a redemptive role parallel to the Christ role with the church, and he should clarify. I think he meant what he said, but this, too, is a logical, logically valid option. Three, say John MacArthur meant what he said, and he is incorrect. Ephesians 5 uses Christ as her model, but does not assign a redemptive role to the husband. Uh redemptive role to the husband that parallels the way Christ redeems the church. I believe this is correct. Does Ephesians 5 present a beautiful picture of the sacrificial love and care from a husband to wife? Yes. Does it use Christ in his work as a model? Yes. Does it place husband in a redemptive role, redemptive framework towards his wife? No. For many reasons, but some basic ones. The full context of Ephesians 5 assigns mutual love and care and uh, and care of the spouses as well as mutual submission. <laughs> oh boy. So wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is head of the wife as Christ is also head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body, but the church is subject to Christ. So also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. That's that mutual submission language, right? I, I just read verses 22 through 24 in case you guys didn't have your Bibles out for this because 
we're doing a lot more uh, Bible study than we normally do on these uh, videos. So I think she's wrong again there. The full con. Oh, I already read that. Second, the because Christ is always our model, and in no other context do we interpret commands to love as Christ love in a redemptive arc or with a salvific framework, even when Scripture is hearkening back to Christ's character and work as our model. We need not. Say, we do not need to say. We do not say we redeem poor, the poor when we help them, or that we redeem a friend when we love them sacrificially. We do not use redemptive or salvific language in any other context where Christ and his work is likewise our model. Now, I got to ask, does she know what the word redeem meant? Because didn't have to, isn't redemption the word tied to purchasing back someone? Like it's a slave, basically? Like you've redeemed a slave? And... In a temporal sense, this still applies to marriage in a temporal sense, not necessarily in the slavery context, but, you know, in, in terms of, I want to say buying someone off the market, but we call, we refer to it as a dating market for a reason. You're taking a woman off the market. That's redeeming in a way. That, that's you, you redeem a coupon, so to speak. So, you know, the whole, the, the word redeem is not in just salvific. We use it as salvific because Christ's sacrifice pays for our sins. His blood pays for our sins. So there's that element of the word redeem, but redeem means, you know, it, it's a purchasing uh, word. So this isn't, I don't think it's wrong to use the word redeem with regards to dating. Because we call it a dating market. We call it a dating pool. We call it, we use a lot of economic language with dating. So I, I don't necessarily see the the uh, issue here. Now, is do we redeem in the same exact way that Christ redeems the church? No, but are we to be sacrificial? Are we supposed to be loving? Are we supposed to be uh, protective and providing for? Yes. Does Christ do all these things for the church? Yes. So, uh, I just, I, she's trying to be a strong, independent woman who don't need no man. I, I just, that's how I see it. We recognize that his character, and, oh wait, I think I already, oh, no, I didn't read that. We recognize that his character and work of self-sacrificial self love is our model, but that we are not redeeming those which we direct that love, nor do we view ourselves as a savior of that group or person. Now, again, the, the term redeem has a much broader scope than savior, but we are, again, laying down your life just as Christ laid down his life for the church. So I don't, she's taking this to a stretch. This is not a rejection of the commands in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 or anywhere else. It is a limitation of how far the metaphor is taken. It is a recognition of our own fallenness and the wrongness of viewing ourselves as redeemers when, in fact, we are all redeemed. Are we all redeemed? 
I do believe, however, that, jo that MacArthur did intend to communicate a redemptive and salvific archetype from husband to wife, while, yes, affirming eternal salvation by grace through faith. First, this is not an isolated incident. It is consistent with additional teachings on marriage and with counseling methodology of Grace Community Church. Boom, there it is. That's what she's really after here. This is a front. Her whole argument is a front because she has an issue with the biblical counseling at Grace Community Church. That's her real issue. That's her real beef. Second, because he, who has learned from and supports is who he has, le has learned from and supports is relevant to how he intends to intends the words he uses, coupling this understanding of marriage with the nathetic uh, counseling approach to marriage, which he strongly subscribes to, is relevant. Noting the uh, noting his close association with Bill Gothard and IBLP. Uh, which is the uh, Inspiring Bible Life Practices, something like that, uh, during the Gothard era, which explicitly taught a highly rigid view of husband as a metaphor and purveyor of God's will and blessing to his wife and child, is highly relevant. Now, this is a bit of a... Uh, I think this is fake news being peddled by Rachel Den Hollander. There isn't really a an established connection between... Bill Gothard and John MacArthur. I think this is a complete stretch. There's not a connection between the two as far as my research can tell. Uh, they are in completely different camps. And I think Bill Gothard probably has a slightly unfair rap because, you know, the Duggar daughter wants to blame her problems on him and not her parents because, you know, it's, you, there's more money to be made going after Bill Gothard than going after the Duggar parents. My opinion. Uh, I believe that evidence shows that he meant what he said, that he is wrong, and that this can lead to an imbalance that is dangerous. Again, consider how many have played into counsel given into the counsel given to Eileen Gray and so many others. So again, Eileen Gray, she's a shady character. I don't I think she's a shady character. Uh, Grace Community Church, in my opinion, has very valid reasons to not believe uh, uh, what transpired in court with her ex-husband. I think they have very valid reasons not to believe that uh, because, let's be real, the allegations of sexual abuse committed by her ex-husband didn't emerge until after they went to therapy and and you know the idea of repressed memories is a very controversial area in psychology unlike transgenderism because the APA and all that seem completely on board with that but repressed memories is a very controversial area in psychology so that and there's a lot of issues with that trial process and how there is some evidence to suggest that there is, I think it was called confabulation where they were being, the kids were being coaxed into uh, memories were being planted in them. So there's a lot of issues with that case. Uh, Grace Community Church has their reasons for not agreeing with the outcome of that case. 
and Eileen, and they did not know about any of that stuff until after she was already out of that church. So you're judging uh, two pe- you're, you're judging the way that the counseling went on at Grace Community Church with hindsight knowledge, which you know is a logical fallacy since she wants to talk about fallacies here. She wants to talk about logical fallacies, but she just committed one. Uh, Eileen Gray is uh, a piece of work if you follow her life after these events. So I, I don't, no, I don't think that there's uh, there's not sufficient evidence that proves beyond a reasonable doubt that Grace Community Church did wrong in those counseling sessions. If we hold to Christianity, our identity and fulfillment is found in Christ alone. If we replace that reality with our over-dependence on another, another human being, we both set us up for unhealthy relationships and failure. I think this is a false dichotomy uh, because it is not good for man to be alone. This is the only time that God says it is not good in the creation account. It is not good for man to be alone. Why? Because we are meant to have a helper. A, a man's meant to have a helpmate. We understand that our, our identity is in Christ. But John MacArthur is talking about marriage being a gift. Marriage to a godly woman being one of the best gifts that God can give you. I de- and then she goes on. I deny MacArthur's framework of looking to anyone, a husband or otherwise, for rescue or redemption from loneliness or and fulfillment. Because she's a strong, independent woman who don't need no man, including her husband. Uh, scripture explicitly teaches that fulfillment is found in Christ. This is not a rejection of the good and beautiful gift of marriage, friendship, family, or the body of Christ. It is a recognition that these gifts do not stand in the place of Jesus himself, and that in order to be healthy in these relationships, they cannot. Which is something that John MacArthur talked about, strangely enough. So... Uh, The highest calling for a Christian is whatever God has gifted them for and called them to, including singleness or marriage. The idea that there is a hierarchy in God's calling or kingdom is not only not not taught, it is explicitly rejected in Scripture. So that sounds like egalitarian language to me. Ideas do not exist in a vacuum, she concludes, and they always have consequences. The patriarchy and biblical counseling are to blame for all the woes in the church uh and that is kind of where she's pointing this conversation to uh, uh megan basham asked about the connection between macarthur and gothard which rachel den hollander in my opinion erroneously establishes i couldn't find a connection between the two other than people associating the two together like what Rachel Den Hollander just did here. She associated two people together that aren't necessarily linked together. Uh, and then I do want to talk about the idea of hierarchy not existing. I don't necessarily agree that God tears down all hierarchy. I, I don't think that's a biblical view at all. We have four spheres of sovereignty and she's talking about mutual submission. And I just read Ephesians uh, five, which doesn't, talk about mutual submission it talks about wives submitting to their husbands as unto the lord so uh, that's 
not the best uh, ideology that has permeated the church with its teachings on marriage. And again, I think she's set up her own straw man opinion about what MacArthur said. Now, Megan Basham did come out and tweet this, uh, which actually the real hero of the or the real MVP is Adam Quibble. Uh, Christ is the savior of his church, implying that so likewise the husband is giving has, is given to the wife to be a savior to her in maintaining, protecting and defending her. So this is a quote from 17th century theologian Matthew Poole. I think maybe MacArthur has read this and had in mind, and she's just raising that question to what uh, uh, MacArthur's influences would be. And this is one thing you do when you're doing research on uh, theology, in my opinion. You, you do research like that to see what were previous generations of Christians uh, teaching and how that influences Christian thought moving forward. Well, anyway, uh, Rachel Denhollander isn't the church villain of the year of 2022 for nothing. And, you know, her, her whole thing is about getting feminism into the church through the Me Too movement, which she has weaponized against the church, against Christ's bride. So, uh, likewise, uh, I don't think this is a surprising development. This showdown isn't surprising, but her going after John MacArthur is going to raise a lot of alarms for Christian conservatives in the church who still hold on to orthodoxy, who have not been compromised by vain worldly ideology. They're going to pay attention to Rachel Den Hollander, what she's teaching, what she is uh, saying out there. It's already bad enough that she thinks David raped Bathsheba, which is an erroneous interpretation of scripture that only uh, takes uh, feminist theory and puts it into the superimposes feminist theory into scripture. So that's who she is. John MacArthur is John MacArthur. Uh, love him or hate him. I like him. I'm not a John MacArthur bro. I've said this every time I've done a John MacArthur video that I'm not a John MacArthur fanboy. I'm not a John MacArthur hater. I'm just calling balls and strikes here. And I thought what John MacArthur said was actually frankly based in the current context of rescuing women from feminism and the lonely life of being 35 childless and having cats. So, yes, I think women need rescue in this day and age. And that's all I got to say about that. My name's Ray. Uh, this is the Evangelical Dark Web. If you like this kind of content, also subscribe to the channel if you are new. Have a blessed day, and we will catch you on the next one.